Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. excited to welcome my oldest school friend, partner in crime, and fellow raconteur, David Fox, to Conversations with Peter Wood. Now, David was a war correspondent for the Reuters news agency for 22 years. I'm not going to delve into the full history of David's time as a war correspondent, short of mentioning the Rwandan genocide, the war in the DRC, Eritrea, Somalia, South Sudan, the Iraq War, Afghanistan, the, J- the Japan tsunami, East Timor, and Bosnia, to name but a few. <laughs> However, David left Reuters under a cloud and went to live on the paradise island of Bali, where he found an even darker cloud to live under. Fortunately, every cloud has a silver lining. He's currently based in Hong Kong and is now a correspondent of the French news agency, AFP. So David, welcome to Mud Between Your Toes. Thank you very much, Pete. That was some introduction. (laughs) Now, before I begin, I think I should explain to the listeners that these conversations are recorded from the terrace of my Hong Kong home in Sai Kung. So expect a few dogs barking and bloody planes going overhead. There's nothing I can do about that. Anyway, without further ado, David, when did we meet? Well, I remember it very well, actually, Pete, um, because if you remember, I arrived in at Prince Edward School midway through Form 1 as a day scholar. But we were in separate classes. You were in 1A2, if I recall correctly, and I yeah. was in 1A1. And, but you made the, uh, what you said at the time, the big mistake of coming top of the class, which meant you got promoted to the top stream the next year. And uh, that was the year I became a boarder. And so it was the beginning of Form 2. I arrived in the uh, Junior 2 dorm at uh, Salou House. And just by at fluke... At Prince Edward School. At Prince Edward School. And just by fluke, our beds happened to be next to each other. Ah, and then the rest is history. We became best mates and even ended up sharing a study together during our school days. Um, but I, I think, funnily enough, I think being best friends also meant that we were both bullied, and it was kind of like we were bullied as a pair, although I seem to remember getting it in the neck more than you. I'm not sure if I'm right there. No, I, th- I think your recollection is probably accurate there. Um, but I think there was, it was sort of on two tiers, if I remember. I mean, most of the people our age uh, were more psychological bullies than physical bullies because they knew that, you know, they knew that I'd stand up to them anyway. But it was the older, it was the older pupils, and it was the pupils our age who would set them up for, for you know, for 
for bullying us. I think that was more of it a is, It was incredible. It was quite sadistic, wasn't it? I mean, do you remember the actual kind of thing they did to us? Well, yeah. I kind of blocked that off, to be honest with me. Well, I mean, I think um, sort of uh, ironically, the, 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 the thing they used to do most was the farmer's treatment, if you remember, where they'd straddle you, sit on your, uh, across, you, put you back to, on your back on the ground, straddle you, and then start, now I'm plowing, and they'd just drag their knuckles through your chest. <laughs> now I'm planting, and they'd poke you in the chest. Now I'm reaping, and they'd pinch you and pinch you. God. It was that sort of thing that went on. It was known as the farmer's treatment, if you remember. Teenagers, who'd want them, hey? And I remember there was one, one awful guy who was even our age, um, and he was even in our class, and he was always slooshing up to the seniors and feeding them little titbits about us. You know, which, you know, after, when you're a teenager, your reputation is very important. And one rumor, excuse me, the aeroplane going over, but one rumor being that we were bum buddies, or as they call, call us in Zimbabwe, morphs, which was untrue, by the way. I mean, that came later, for me, anyway. Yeah, but to be labelled that at school was uh, was quite a uh, was quite a terrible thing. You 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 were be made a pariah almost if that happened to you. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the interesting thing was that we, uh, I mean, it didn't turn us into little wimps. We were bloody naughty, and and I mean, we were constantly bunking out and getting drunk. And I don't know how we managed to get any school work done at all. But um, one. Um, one day, I recall that we actually burnt a field down. In fact, I think you burnt the field down. Explain. Well, yeah, I'm still not sure entirely if I was to blame for it, but uh, we used to go uh, sneaking off in the afternoons if we didn't have to run cross-country or anything like that and uh, go across to one of the minor school fields that the school had. Uh, it was, I think it was called Prince's Field, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was over near... Selborne School, wasn't it? Or near the police barracks. And there was a whole lot of uh, long elephant type grass in the, and you know in between the fields and, and some trees. And we, we sort of dug out a little nest there where we used to go and sit there and literally smoke a box of cigarettes in the afternoon, mm. hiding away. And I think, uh, I don't know, either by accident or design, I somehow managed to set fire to the field. And it went literally ablaze. I mean, it was long elephant grass, wasn't it? it? Was, I yeah. mean, it, you know, they called fire engines and everything, and we went and hid in the coal shed. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Where we had another box of cigarettes <laughs> yeah. to calm our nerves. <laughs> Needless to say, you know, you feature a lot in my book under the name of Foxy. Um, I'm not quite sure a lot of people put two and two together on that. No, they certainly didn't, because I know people who'd read your book even at AFP when I arrived there. Uh, 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 they, they sort of asked, oh, did you know Pete Wood? As in that old sort of, yeah, you're a Zimbabwean, he's a Zimbabwean, there's a chance they might know each other, you know? And only when it was pointed out that not only do I know him, we were at school together, do they, does the penny drop? It, it's, it's quite funny sometimes. Do you know, I mean, it, we had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, let's, let's sort of, the bullying aside, we had a lot of fun. And I want to talk about that weekend, the weekend that was. Um, and you'll need to help me with uh, this because some of the names of people who were with us that weekend elude me. But I can set the scene. It was my 16th birthday. And for the listeners, I cannot emphasize this enough. 
the war had escalated and our district, the Victory Block in particular, where our farm was, was right in the thick of it, right in the thick of it. I mean, my mum used to sit on the veranda and watch the helicopters come down firing into the bush and stuff like that. It was real, you know, Vietnam kind of stuff. And my diaries tell, at the time, of daily contacts, landmines, homes being attacked. I mean, it was really quite awful. And I think everyone needed some light relief. So, you know, my dad allowed me, against my mum's better judgment, to invite about 50 kids, mainly townies, to the house for a birthday party at night share madness. Um, do you want to carry on with a little bit of that, David? Well, yeah, um, I, I remember it very well. Uh, I've stayed at your farm quite a few times in the past. I used to go out there quite often to school holidays, so I knew the place quite well. But then I was the first one in our year to get a driver's license, and the problem with having a party out there was that, you know, how were we going to get all these kids out there? And so somebody, I don't know who it was, got into the wise idea was that your folks would hire a car and I would drive the hire car loaded. And with you were money. going to drive because you were the only one with a license Absolutely. of our group. Absolutely, yeah. But the problem was that the, um, I remember your folks had that big red Peugeot 504 station wagon, if you remember. God, no. <laughs> uh, well, they did. Uh, so the idea was that I would drive that car and your mum would drive the hire car because you were supposed to be 21 years old to drive a hire car. But it turned out that the, uh, the big Peugeot 404, 504 station wagon had a column shift and I didn't know how to drive that. And so I drove the hire car instead because I knew how to drive the stick shift. Well, and, and you know, the, the other the elephant in the room there was the fact that um, Hertz Rent-A-Car did not allow people to drive their cars if they were 18 or under, despite the fact that they had a license or not. I think it was 21, actually. Was it 21? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we were really sort of out of order. But my mum seemed to go for the idea because there was no other way of getting the kids out there. Indeed. And, you know, the farm The farm was 100 miles away over Bush Road. So, you know, it was a bit of a... It was a bit of a schlep. I got there without incident, bear in mind. You got there without incident, but I don't think your mum uh, even knew that you were driving, did she? She had no idea. She had no idea. And, you know, just to sort of also set, go back to setting the scene, these parties weren't your usual teenage party with, you know... I mean, we all got blisteringly drunk, but... The, what I'm trying to say is my mum put on this fabulous buffet. There were flowers on the table. I mean, it was done like a real sort of grown-ups party. It was, uh, it was quite, um, you know, there was a lot of effort that went into it. Very much so. It was a spectacular affair. And, uh, but, but even before the night of the party itself, it wasn't without incident, was it, when we went camping? Well, this is, this is what happened. So my dad um, was getting... I mean, my dad, at the best of times, didn't like teenage <laughs> children. And suddenly he had all of these kids and, and townies at, at that, you know, descending upon him. And they were their, their cottage was overflowing with women doing their hair with, you know, curling tongs everywhere. And, you know, it was just... It was mayhem. And he just said, OK, that's it. You boys, 
go down uh, to the river and camp, get out of my bloody hair, and allow your mother to get on with the organization. This was the day before the party. So, or, the, or two days before, I, I can't quite remember. Um, the and night before. So we, so we, and this is where I am a little bit, I can't remember how many people were with us. Um, it wasn't that many, but it was, uh, I can't remember who was in that group. Um, I, I think it was about a dozen, because there were other people who were going to be arriving on the day of the party. So I think it was about a dozen of us. I can remember, you know, several of the people who were there. It was Chris Fremantle, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, uh, Spike. Spike Coburn. Yeah, uh, it was uh, Sean Elliott. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if my brother was there or not. Um, uh, there was also uh, Bush McDonough. Yeah, and I, and and the, the the camp that we chose to go to on the farm was this very beautiful, um, wild part of the Neroe River. I mean, festooned with um, you know with trees hanging over and wild orchids. It was a lovely, gorgeous, but rather airy part of um, the farm. I have to admit, uh, but very beautiful. Um, I thought it was on the Mississippi River. But no, no, it no, wasn't. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely. And and um, but w while we were off camping, Special Branch called my father and took him or, or saw him at the club and took him aside and said, "Look, John, you know we've got a bit of a problem. Your farm, your house." is due to be attacked. We've had in inside information that your house is due to be attacked by terrorists on Saturday night. And my, my dad said, well, that's impossible. You know, I've got, I've got 50 kids coming, you know. And they said, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to call off the party. But, um, it, you know, it was just too late. It was too late. Well, it wasn't too late to call it off. But my dad just thought, well, sod it. He's not going to tell the kids. But he did tell a few of his close friends who came round to, inverted commas, um, look after us. But we, I want to sort of take a step back, David, and go to the camp that night. I mean, that was not without incident as well. And bear in mind, we didn't know that the farm was due to be attacked. So this is just completely separate from, from that. I mean, do you remember what happened? Yeah, I, I, you know, we'd, um, we were out there, and once the parents had um, dropped us off in various, you know, uh, Land Rovers and tractors and things like that, and uh, we sort of uh, settled down for the sunset and the evening. I think we'd smuggled a couple of bottles of booze with us, of course. We would have quite a few bottles quite a few of bottles. booze. So we all sat around the campfire getting, you know, more and more sloshed. And I, I, we had the dogs with us, and I think we were armed with one sort of 2-2 rifle. Where it didn't it, we, had a, we had one 2-2, which, of course, and is the pelican. most useless bloody weapon in the world at night time. I mean, we should have had a shotgun. You know, and, and, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. The war was at its height at the time. I mean, there were attacks in the district constantly. This was no idle threat, you know. Um, and so there we were, all camping and getting up to all sorts of mischief and getting drunk. And at one stage, I think we all had our clothes off. No, that happened later. And oh, I it did it. Oh. Yeah. And don't right. get excited, Pete. Okay. Well, all right. What a different camp.
No, 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 no. Uh, okay, well, well tell story, me, tell me, story. tell me, tell no, me. Okay, well, what oh, no, 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 I know what you mean now. Yeah, I, I was thinking about something else, which was a different camp. But, um, yes, yeah, so, so it had got dark and the night jars were twittering and the crickets were going and it was all a bit airy and black, very dark, dark, dark night. Well, no, no. I mean, we were, uh, no, no. Yeah, the opposite. Like full but, moon. Yeah, but we were under big trees, so yeah, it was quite very dark down there. And then, then what? What happened? It must have been, I, and I don't even know what time it was. It could have been about ten, eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it was round about then. Maybe, a, maybe an hour earlier or so. But suddenly we saw across the river, up on the sort of, over the sort of valley up towards the hill, we saw a fire. And uh, and it was sudden. Somebody spotted it. I don't know who it was, and and it shouldn't have it been. It was there. like a flaming torch. Well, at first we thought, well, maybe it's just a, you know, a herd boy or somebody, or they're out looking for, you know, or poachers or something mm. like that. But then this thing started moving. You know, it was clearly moving, sort of left to right, wending its way between the trees on the opposite bank of the river. Yeah, and then we had a sort of discussion about this, and we thought, nah, we better. We better head back to uh, the house. But we panicked and we made a noise, and then suddenly the fire was extinguished, and that was oh, the, that, right. that was the terrifying moment when we realised, shit, let's get going. And we tried to, someone who was in charge of the weapon, I don't know who that was, it wasn't me, I can assure you, tried to put a round in the spout of the. Um, and, uh, the 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 two two and got it jammed and it was too dark to see anything so the two two was useless, and we literally left everything there and just walked through the bush. Yeah, and we we walked. Oh, and we had dogs with us. We did. And that was the weird thing: the dogs weren't anywhere around. They suddenly, they had disappeared. You know, so we didn't even have them for kind of you know moral support. Now we sort of um. We got out from the river section and we hit the, the farm road. And that's where, uh, uh, you know, the striptease started because I suddenly realised that there we were standing out in this... It was a very moonlit night. I, that's what I recall. It, we was were, a, it was a moonlit night. And the, and the farm road, if you remember, was, you know, it had that sort of white sand from being driven yeah. over. And it really stood out. And there was suddenly this group of a dozen teenagers you know, dressed up in, you know, T-shirts and shorts and things, and it really stood out. It was such an obvious time. And, and we were walking in a, in a, I don't know what you would call single that. File. Single No, not one behind each other, uh, shoulder to shoulder. What is That's that? Right. What does that sort make it? British bulldog style. Yeah, and, and, and it, was, it was so funny because the person, the people on the end kept kind of trying to muscle back into the middle, so it was this constant little dance we were doing all the way. Like a peloton in a, uh, it, in a, in a his, Tour de France. It was hysterical. I mean, you know, if we had come across terrorists, it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. But then the, it, it became more bizarre, because as we were heading home on the road, we saw these big flashes coming from the house, and we thought, shit, the house is being attacked. Now what do we do? And we had to make a decision. Do we go back to the camp where we had seen the terrorists or do we risk it and keep walking? Yeah. Uh, but at that point, I think it was maybe shortly before then, I think I came up with a bright idea that everyone takes their clothes off so that they won't stand out against the road, which but actually was not a bad idea. Our lily-white skins against, against the sand. The, against it the was a clever sand. idea, yeah. actually. I mean, it was the most bizarre idea, but a clever <laughs> idea. You know, because, I mean, really, if anyone had seen us, you know, all of these kids, you know, terrified kids, yeah, I don't think there was much to see, actually, to be honest. Um, 
So we, so we managed to get home. How, how far was that, Pete? You'd remember. It's, a, it's, it's not, it's about five miles. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's not, it's not a, but it was through bush. And then until we got to the road. So it was, and it was terrifying. I mean, I think at one stage we, you know, unsettled a porcupine or something and everyone sort of squeaked and squealed. And, <laughs> but we did finally get home. And as we were approaching the home, now back then all the houses during the war had security lights outside facing outwards. And huge fences. And huge fences. But, and, and we were obviously locked out and outside. But the interesting thing was the house was in darkness. The security lights were out and we thought, the attack has already taken place, and everyone inside are dead. Mm. You know, it was a very, very scary moment. You know, I, yeah, I can't emphasize it enough. You know, we were, you know, although we were 16 years old, it was a scary moment, you know. Um, and, and then we had to try and find a way of getting in. Of getting your dad's attention without yeah. him shooting us, thinking yeah. that we're the ones attacking. Well, absolutely. Yeah. You know, he didn't left. expect us to be coming back. So no, I mean, you know, and and so uh, and we he he came. He was around the corner, and he started talking. He didn't want to. He didn't want to expose himself in case we were being held hostage, which wasn't an unusual situation. It had been done before. Absolutely. You know, so, and he wasn't really believing us. And we were trying to laugh and saying, no, John, it's fine, you know. And you, ha once again, you came up with a very good idea. Yeah, I said, I started speaking to him in Afrikaans. Not realizing, of course, that John's Afrikaans wasn't the best in the world, was no, it? No, he didn't know it at all. No, I, he had no Afrikaans whatsoever. But I think when he realized I was speaking Afrikaans, that it was well, probably... Well, he thought that okay. you fucking nuts, actually, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and then he came out armed with um, an FN yeah. uh, rifle, semi-automatic rifle, and, um, you know, in his boxer shorts. And uh, there was this sight of these terrified children with not a stitch of clothing on, <laughs> you know. And the incredible thing was, at that time, he realized how serious the situation might have been or was or could have been, and or how scared we really were. And he didn't, he did not mention the clothes. <laughs> no, that's true. I, 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 now you say it, I've never thought about no, that. He he did not. Yeah, he just didn't mention the clothes. Um, so anyway, you know, all was well. We all went back to our respective bedrooms, you know, and went to sleep. Um, and afterwards, my dad came into my bedroom and said, you know, what the hell was that all about? And I told him what we had seen, and he sent my brother down the next day to have a look. And my brother came back thinking, well, it, we, we were never able to prove anything, to be honest, whether it was just... Uh, our imagination, which it wasn't our imagination. I'm sorry, it wasn't our imagination, you know, because there were several of us. It wasn't just me on my own, you know, and... Um, I always claim the townies were kind of um, driving, the, driving the fear a bit more than anything else. Wow. But anyway. You know, and the party hadn't even begun. That was yeah. the day before, you know. That was just to get us out of his hair, you know. And then, uh, interestingly, the party itself, I don't think there's much to speak of other than that you were, mar you were married, sorry, you were in love with both of my cousins, Mad I, Madeleine and Lindy. But I think only one of them was there, though, in fairness. No, 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 no. They're both there. In fact, I, you know, we won't go into that. No, let's not. For, but, you know, unless... Uh, so, um... Uh, there were a few incidents that I remember, though, just a couple. One is that 
we, we butchered your dad's booze supply, uh, which he discovered at some point in the evening. But more than that, we butchered your dad's uh, uh, stash of... He used to smoke those country club cheroots. That's right, yeah. Those brown cheroots. That's a hideous And thing. we'd all run out of you know cigarettes, and so we started raiding his supply of cheroots. And when those ran out, that's when his temper ran out. But interesting. I mean, you've got to imagine that he was already fairly frayed at this stage, knowing that we were due to be attacked. And all of these other farmer friends he had invited to look after us were absolutely plastered. I don't believe they could have even uh, put the magazine into their rifles, you know. But... Um, and it, it, it was at one stage in the evening that my father found a whole lot of kids, you know, necking. That was it, just necking in the, in the cottage or something. And he just flipped. He just absolutely flipped. And when my father is angry, he is a scary That's creature. That's a sight to behold. Yeah. 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 And he, t he closed the party down. Yeah, shut it down. It was, he uh, shut it down. Fact, it was probably about... Two thirty-three in the morning at that point. Or yeah, maybe yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was angry about that. After all, you know, you go to all of this effort and then... But, you know, I do realise now, in retrospect, knowing that, you know, we were due to be attacked. And, and f what was incredible that uh, instead of saying to all the kids, you know, right, you've got to sleep inside... There were children sleeping out on the lawn. There were kids. When my mum woke up in the morning... I'm sorry, those dogs. Someone needs to go and shoot those dogs. Um, anyway, when my mum woke up in the morning, she found children sleeping under the rose bushes out in the open. If we had been attacked, it would have been a bloodbath. Mm. No, it definitely would have. I mean, that is a story I don't know whether your mum ever found out about. No, good party, uh, though. Yeah. But, um, you know, just when you thought, um, you know, it was all sort of going to calm down, we now had to get all the kids back to Harare, Sal Salisbury, as it was back then. And um, David was driving the hired car back. And now I'm going to let you take this one away. Oh, dear. It's not a memory I like to recall too often. But I, if I remember correctly, I was driving, and in the car... With they, me, was, they were going um, in convoy, weren't they? Yeah, your mum was your mum was behind in the uh, in the big red uh, five hundred four, and I was in the um, in the smaller car. And in that car was I was driving, and the passenger seat was Madeleine, with who, as Pete suggests, I had this crush on. And then I mean, in the back no suggestion, I can okay. assure you. And in the back seat was uh, Spike, uh, uh, Bev North, who you had a crush on. And, um, yeah, there's a surprise, Pete. Well, no, I was trying hard, OK? <laughs> I was trying hard. And uh, Sean Elliott. Uh, so there was the five of us in the car. And we were, uh, we were, we were probably about half an hour out of, um, out of uh, the farm, driving down some sand road. Uh, and um, everything was going smoothly. And suddenly Madeleine went into the glove box where... My glasses were... My, I used to wear glasses. And you were too vain to wear glasses in front of Madeleine because you had a crush on her. Indeed. And Absolutely. so I wasn't wearing my glasses while I was driving. She went to go for the... Uh, open the glove box, and I went to close the glove box in order to stop her from seeing my glasses. And as a result of that, I just went off the road, smashed right over a culvert, going at some speed... Uh, into, and we just drove into a concrete culvert headfirst. And the whole engine moved straight up oh, into the passengers. It went straight, and it just... Well, I mean, there's, there's two parts to the story, because uh, at first you're, 
your mum, who was probably about uh, half a kilometre behind, suddenly came round this bend and saw this car off the road with smoke coming up. With thinking, all these children falling out. Thinking, yet again, we've been ambushed. And so the worst thing she's going to do is drive straight into the ambush. So she just held back at first, you know, seeing, OK, is there any gunshots? Is there anything else going on? But then she saw, you know, the kids just, all of us just getting out of the car in various stages. Bloodied uh, as well. Very bloodied. I mean, I ended up with a bust nose, two black eyes. Uh, Sean Elliott bit right through his tongue. Uh, He had to have stitches in his tongue. Uh, Spike had stitches up up his leg. Um, I mean, Sean Elliott has now got a rather sexy lisp, (laughs) so it did him some good, because all the women love him. And, you know, it was interesting that it happened quite close to our manager's farm, um, you know, our, our, our B section and our manager. Will you carry on with this? Because I want to, I want to, I'll, I'll, I'll end with what happened with the manager. Well, well, not actually, because I, I think I can see back now. I had a concussion, to be honest. I mean, I'd smashed, the, the engine block had come straight through the front into the driver's side, pushed the steering wheel right into my face. And I don't recall very much at all after that. Well, I can tell you then if you can't recall. So um, we managed to get everyone back to the main farm. Um, and I remember lying on my bed, just relaxing, thinking, thank God everyone's gone. And hearing a car coming up the road, and it was my mom and then and the manager bringing all these wounded children. Um, and it, everything, everyone kicked in. I mean, one thing about the housewives and John and everyone, you know, it was business, business, business. He wasn't shouting at anyone. Uh, my mum was, you know, all her first aid kicked in. You know, it was a fascinating thing. And, and everyone was doing their bit to, you know, stifle bleeding and, you know, because, we, no, we didn't have a doctor for, you know, 30 miles away. And then it was only after a while that we realized that you, David, had disappeared and you had taken the gun. Now, this was the moment when my father began to really panic because, you know, the rifle had gone as well and we thought, Jesus, David, you know, has gone off and he's going to shoot himself. And everyone was going around the house and the garden saying, David, David, it's okay. You can come out. It's okay. No one's upset with you. And eventually, we found you underneath a bed in our, in our guest cottage with the gun, hugging the gun. You you know, know, again, I don't remember having the rifle with me, to be honest. I really don't, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, I don't believe I, you were ever going to harm yourself, but uh, I, it, was, it was a bit of a, 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 a dramatic situation. You know, I, I do know that I feared John's wrath. I, I, you know, um, yeah. I, you know he, he, I've seen his temper in action before, and but, you know, I'd never seen him raise a hand to Up to until you then, to... he hadn't been wrathful, but as soon as he got that gun out of your hand, then he hit the roof. But he didn't have that say, and he did realize that everyone was genuinely in shock, and shock is a very dangerous thing, you know. Um, so um, we got everyone back to town, God knows how, I can't even remember. Um, 
It was one of the neighbours came in with a car. And, right, and okay. There was a lot of packing of kids in. But we had to. We went to straight to hospital, first of all. And, you know, my mum, she's not a liar by nature, but she had to, you know, put a sock in it over in this situation because she had to take the car, the hire car, back to Hertz. And no, the hire car was, you couldn't use it. Well, okay, Hertz came out to collect the hire car. And um, that's right. They came out to collect the wreckage and they said, my goodness, Mrs. Wood, there is a lot of blood. And, you know, of course, up, up until now, my mum was just pretending that she had dri been driving the car. But, of course, she didn't have a scratch on her. Anyway, we, we did get away with it. God, I hope Hertz don't come back and, well, you know, eat your heart out, Hertz. Yeah, it was... Um, did you ever get your end away with Madeline? Okay, carry on. <coughs> we don't talk about these things, Pete. Um, but I do remember, no, the, the uh, one aftermath of it is that your mum stayed in town that night. Uh, after we were taking the kids to hospital, I'd gone home to my mum's place. Even though I was a, a boarder, I, I remember I, w I lived in town. But um, uh, when your mum came the next day, though, because I, I arrived home and uh, we'd been smoking so much over the previous two days, my hands were yellow from nicotine. <laughs> I walked into the house. I had two massive black eyes. And my nose was just swollen all over my face. I looked like the elephant man. And all my mum said, look at your hands. You've been smoking, haven't you? Oh, my God, that's fantastic. You know what, David, and I think on that note, we bring this uh, conversations with Peter Wood to a close because we can talk and talk and talk. I mean, there are so many stories, and we are definitely having David back for another conversations later on in the season. So, David, thanks so much, mate. You have been amazing. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. Well, well, that was just an average weekend back in Rhodesia in the 1970s. Thank you so much to David Fox for sharing that with us. And hopefully when we get him back in further episodes, we can do it without the village dogs and without the aeroplanes. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember... You can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for mud between your toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.